Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And we are back from the mini bye week, the weekend off, the only weekend off for the Colts until the final bye week of NFL seasons. And that, I think, or this NFL season, I should say, that's like December 11th, if I'm not mistaken. That'll be the Colts' bye week this year. Um, But we bumped it up a day this week just because, you know, I don't like getting too late into the week. And, you know, we might get, I guess, a couple of roster moves today. We're recording this on Tuesday morning, but I'm not expecting a ton of news items between uh, this morning and tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, when we would usually record. Uh, I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is the producer. He is with us here, as always. Eddie, I guess, kind of a split for the Colts this weekend, right? Got some help from the Texans, but Carson Wentz, no help. <laughs> Yeah, so what, they're only half a game back, or is it a full game back from Tennessee in the standings? I would think a half. I, I don't know. I guess I'd have to look closer at that. But you got the Titans at 3-2, and two, Colts at 2-2-1, two, two and one, Jacksonville at 2-3. and three. It is wild how Jacksonville has lost nine straight to the Texans. Yeah, wow. Nine straight? Nine straight to the so, Houston Texans. So it's like, well, you think about it from the Colts' perspective— Look how they've done in Jacksonville. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, this Colts-Jags, and we'll get into it, you know, after Twitter questions today. We will focus on the offensive line today. I actually do want to talk um, a little bit of 2023 draft. Um, Part of it is kind of a mini bye week thing where I'm watching a little bit more college football. I'm watching a little bit more other NFL teams, and Mm -hmm. I just think you naturally look towards the draft. I feel like I do it during the mini bye week and then again during the bye week. But I think it's relevant considering what's happening in Washington with Carson Wentz. And you look at the college quarterbacks this year, a little bit of a deeper class. Something I want to touch on. Um, But as far as um, Jacksonville and Indianapolis this series, you know, Frank Reich has never lost to the Jags here at Lucas Oil. You got wood over there? You got knock on it? Well, I'm just saying this series has been a very home-home split over the last handful of seasons. Obviously, the Colts' drought in Jacksonville extends a little bit past that. Um, Currently, the Colts are the favorite in Vegas to win the AFC South. They're not an overwhelming favorite, but they are the favorite. Are they still at plus odds? It's like plus 150, I want to say. I think I saw Tennessee at like plus 170. Um, Which, part of me is like, that's interesting because Tennessee is a half game up, like you said, Eddie. They are on their bye week, and Tennessee won the first meeting, and that was in Indianapolis. I think the reason for that is the Titans still have road games at Arrowhead, at Lambeau, at Philly, and at the Chargers. Wow. I mean, those are four games they'll be at least five-point underdogs in. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very, very difficult road slate. Yeah, they go to Kansas City, they have Denver, then they have Green Bay, then they have Cincinnati, then they have Philly, then Jacksonville, then the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's brutal. Um, it is wild how the Colts schedule, and this is this goes for the entire AFC South, but how it's all of a sudden looking as the AFC West, nowhere near the juggernaut I thought it would be entering the season. But now you also play the NFC East, and look at 4-1 Giants. Look at the 4-1 Cowboys. Look at the 5-0 and Eagles. That division has really taken off and I think been a surprise, especially given the quarterbacks. And I guess that's where we can get into the Wentz thing right here. And... Again, I, I really hope people 
will not poo-poo the, why are you talking about Carson Wentz, you know, on the Colts podcast? It's relevant for next year's draft, and that's why I'm bringing it up. Just to refresh everyone's minds, the Colts trade with Washington netted them this 2023 pick. Uh, what was a third-round pick last year they got as well? Mm-hmm. And then this 2023 pick, which will either be a second-rounder if Carson Wentz plays at least 70% of the snaps or a third-rounder if Carson Wentz does not meet that 70% threshold. I'm pretty sure he's taken every snap so far this season. They're 1-4. and four. He's on the injury report this week. They play on Thursday Night Football. He's on the injury report with the right shoulder injury. I think that's always something to note. And his head coach... Did not give him a ringing endorsement yesterday and describing Washington's situation in regards to the NFC East. And I still think we are a ways away from Washington, like, benching Carson Wentz. For one, they gave up a good amount. There were moments on Sunday where he played pretty good football for them. And, like, Sam Howell is the backup. I mean, what round was Sam Howell drafted in, Eddie? I don't know. Heineke's still there. Well, I guess Sam Howe is the young backup, I should say. And, like, he would be the one that you would turn to, in my opinion. He would be the young one that you would turn to. It's not like Sam Howe was taken fifth round. 20th overall. Yeah, I mean, fifth round. Now, I, I like Howe a little bit more than most, clearly, than the NFL did. Um, but it's not like you're just waiting for them to turn to the young QB. It's not like Trubisky to Kenny Pickett, necessarily. Uh, but I was looking up just kind of the implications of where things stand in regards to Wentz and in regards to what that draft pick could look like. The Colts right now have the 18th overall pick. Washington's second rounder would be 34 overall. Their third rounder is 66 overall. So let's look at that. What would it mean to get the 34th pick versus the 66th pick? That's basically what you're looking at right now. If you're sitting there at 18, where the Colts have their first-round pick, yeah, and you're looking to trade up, mm-hmm. if you package 18 and 34 together, you could get roughly in that 8 range. If you packaged 18 and 66 together, that would get you in like the 13th pick range. So... If you look at it, the second versus the third is about a five-ish spot difference. And obviously, you would package other things together if you feel like you needed to move even higher up in the draft. But I just kind of wanted to put that on visual paper for everybody and what it looks like. In the trade value world, the 34th pick versus the 66th pick it is pretty significant. And... That is something to continue to keep in mind as we look closer and closer at that 2023 draft. And really, no matter what happens this season, quarterback has got to be on the top of the the priority list. I do think, Eddie, it's a quarterback class that has some names outside of C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young that are intriguing to some NFL teams. Um, A lot of them reside in the SEC. Will Levis with Kentucky. I would see. I would put him on that list. I think we'll see one of them play a pretty big game on Saturday, Hendon Hooker um, against Alabama. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Hooker a little bit on the older side. That might scare some people away. Uh, Anthony Richardson. I don't. Is Anthony Richardson eligible though? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is he just two years um, out from high school? 
there are some of those prospects that are going to fall into the almost Josh Allen type of evaluation, where it's like you're going to look at the numbers and you're going to be like, what? And you're going to have to take a risk. Um, so, cheer for the Commanders on Thursday night. Cheer for Carson Wentz to continue to play good football uh, outside of probably one game here at Lucas Oil Stadium. Because you just, Eddie, when the three teams above you in the division are 4-1, 4-1, and 5-0, and 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 you're 1-4, and you're going to be mathematically eliminated potentially at, like, Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, when does, you know, Wentz has got to play 12 or 13 games to get to that 70% mark. Let's say he stays healthy. And, again, I pointed out the injury earlier. But let's say he does stay healthy. Does Ron Rivera ever look at it and say, all right, my job's on the line. Could I save it if I start Sam Howell for a month and he shows promise? Or simply, do they fire Ron Rivera at some point and bring in the interim and say, uh, you're playing Sam Howell? <laughs> like, when does Washington think, you know what, maybe we should have watched what Philly and Indianapolis did. <laughs> maybe that was a sign. Maybe the fact that the Colts would have flat-out cut Carson Wentz. That should have been a sign. So, I bring all that up just to take a little look at the 2023 draft and the draft capital that will be of major, major importance to the Colts looking ahead. You know, Kev, we talk about wide receiver and then, you know, they needed talent to surround Pittman and you've seen Pierce kind of step up a little bit, but do you still think that's a... I mean, you, we know Chris Ballard does not value that position at all. And I, this upcoming draft seems to be very loaded at offensive line again and, and linebacker. You've got Willie Anderson and a couple of linebackers that are there at the top half of uh, the draft. Could you see them possibly trading up given the way offensive line has performed thus far? That yeah. a look even as much as they need to look at quarterback? Boy, it's... It's certainly a fair question. Um, I, I definitely want to take a closer look at it before I, you know, make kind of a more of a concrete judgment on it. But, I mean, look at Chris Bauer's track record. It would indicate probably decide with one of those trench positions more than the other ones. And obviously there is a need on that O-line. And I guess we can get into that now um, when you look at the offensive line and where you go from here. I'll kind of echo what I said on Friday. The more I've thought about it, it is one of the wilder things I've seen an NFL team do in changing three offensive line starters in a week, in a short week, with no practice and doing it on the road. And I think one of the more hostile environments in the league. Granted, that didn't really last as the Boo Birds were out very early. The more I've thought about it, Eddie, the more I'm like, you know, this is why... You pay attention to joint practices. This is why you pay attention to some of those preseason games. Mm-hmm. I went back and looked at my notes from the joint practices with the Lions. Went back and looked at what I wrote after the preseason games. The Lions had numerous moments, in particular against Danny Pinter and Matt Pryor, where they found a lot of success in the joint practices. I think back to that first preseason game in Buffalo. You had three penalties on your starting offensive line. Remember Frank Reich left that group in for an extra series in that opener? Mm-hmm. Um, you had a strip sack. Yeah. The Lions preseason game would have been your second one. Matt Pryor and Danny Pinter started. Remember, you benched all your starters. You rested all your starters. Those two guys played. That that was clearly because there were some question marks 
with that duo. And then in the final preseason game with Tampa Bay, and again, Tampa's D-line is very good, but they whipped you. They absolutely whipped you yeah. in that game. So I think there was evidence of this starting to simmer a little bit in August. And honestly, you can point to some of it last season in that the, the offensive line, I thought, went from elite to good last year. But what you had in the good mix last year you had continued injuries for Ryan Kelly. You had Quentin Nelson playing after three surgeries in, in about a 10-month span, something we probably don't talk enough about. And then Braden Smith had his first injury season of his career. I think he missed six games, if I'm not mistaken. And so I think you start to add that up, the general attrition on three your three really high-paid guys. And then you couple that with the Pinter prior issues and even – the big three, some of them had preseason issues. Should they look as broken as they have had? No. But I think there were some signs of this leading into the start of this season. The question I have for you about the offensive line is, we have seen this offensive line perform at a high level for years. Now, last year, not as high as they had been in you know, the previous three years or so. But when you look at how they're performing now in comparison to last year and the year before that, it has been such a downward spiral that could you believe that there's something going on that we possibly don't have access to know, uh, to know about because you don't see a guy like Ryan Kelly or Quentin Nelson or Braden Smith even kind of just go down as fast as they have. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, is some of it on the coaching staff? Sure. Um, But to your point, Eddie, this is not like a – you know, I feel like at times in years past, Mark Glowinski and Brain Smith, maybe it wasn't for a long period of time, but I felt like there was kind of a multiple-game stretch there. They really struggled handling stunts. The right side of the line really struggled handling stunts. It's not like you have that. It's not like it's just one spot – just one thing. Um, there is a lot of layers to this, and I guess that is what is concerning. And that, to your point, makes me think again: Do you go to the coaching staff? I, mm-hmm. I, I tend to think there is some personnel that is playing into this because, like I said, Smith, Kelly, and Nelson, in their own different ways, have all started to deal with some injuries, some greater than others. I'd argue Kelly probably the most consistent amount of injuries through that stretch. But I think those are some things that we should probably point out. I found it ironic. I was talking to Joe Wrights the other day, and he brought up how the Colts made three offensive line changes in the 2015 season, going from that was the year they come off the AFC Championship appearance. Everyone's yeah. thinking Super Bowl, you know, sleeper. I don't know if it's the right word, but a lot of people had them pegged for a Super Bowl team in Andrew Luck's fourth season. You lose at Buffalo week one. I want to say he lost to the Jets, I think it's popping in my head. Jets or Eagles? I think it was the Jets in Week 2 on Monday Night Football. Really struggled offensively in both those games. You go down to Tennessee in Week 3. You get down big in that game. They made three offensive line changes in that one. Now, that was a whole week of practice leading into Tennessee, but I find it, in a way, a bit ironic. That game... I think will be memorized. Uh, memorized is that right? Will be most remembered. That's a better go. way to say it. Uh, for a couple of things: one, Philip Dorsett's greatest Colt highlight. Two, Andrew Luck got hurt, didn't he? 
because Hasselbeck played the next two games. That is probably what will get the most attention when you look back on that. That was the first time Andrew Luck suffered the shoulder injury. Jarrell Casey hits him on a sack. I think somewhat early in that game, Luck plays through it. They come back. They win that game. Like you said, he's out the next two weeks. Lacerates his kidney, I think, in late October, something like that. Um, But that was the start. Denver game. To the end, I guess, of Luck's career. Obviously, it lasted several more years, but he elects not to have surgery after the 2015 season. Plays through it in 2016. Then he has surgery after 2016, misses 2017. You guys know the rest of the story. But again, I bring that up to say the franchise, the last time they made such a crazy move, it happened at least in a week they all could practice three times, but it also led to their franchise quarterback suffering an injury he would never truly recover from. Yeah. And I get it, it's a different regime, but it was just wild to see the drastic nature they went to last Thursday. Part of me thought this. Part of me thought, man, that is bold. That is a statement. That is, and, and, I, and I do think all of that, that is sending a message. Desperation. Desperation is a great word to use. So I'm thinking to myself, is everybody now on watch inside that locker room? Is everybody thinking, holy shit, we just benched three offensive line guys in one week, and it didn't work. I mean, you were sacked six times, and I think they were whistled for six penalties. But do you think there's guys in that locker room that are now thinking, could I be next? Could I be next? Or is it simply that position group has clearly been the biggest issue? We need to try something wild. Here you go. Um, I would think the latter more than the first part of that. Yeah, and I would as well. But I do think we should should point out, Eddie, you are coming back from the mini bye week. Mm -hmm. This is the one time that you take a significant break until December, anything else. And, and, and when I say that, do you increase the playing time for Alec Pierce? Do you increase the playing time for Isaiah Rogers? Two things that I would like to see happen. The injury list, I don't think it's like crazy long in the sense of guys are going to miss a lot of time moving forward, but it's the longest entering a week the Colts have had all season long. Jonathan Taylor's ankle, Naeem Hines' concussion, Ryan Kelly hip, Julian Blackman. Julian Blackman ankle. Shaquille Leonard, broken nose, concussion. Um, Tyquan Lewis with a concussion. I'm sure I'm missing something. Did I mention Hines with his concussion? Quiddy Pay. That's the one that could be multiple weeks. Yeah, I felt like I just rattled off seven or eight names there. And I bring all that up to say, what do you do with Sam Ellinger? Right. I mean, he's been... A healthy scratch every game. He's been the healthy scratch, the healthy third quarterback. Are you looking at this at all and thinking, boy, if Ryan goes down, we would want to have more of a scrambler back there? Do you see Ellinger become the backup this week? Do you see him dress this week? Do you see him get cut this week? Like, I probably side a little bit more on the first couple things. Like, do you make a move? with him in the positive direction versus in the demotion mm-hmm. direction. But I guess what I'm getting at is, is the luxury of three quarterbacks, given your injuries, this is the first time I think you've really had to have that discussion all season long. Again, I don't think a lot of these injuries are too, too long. Like You'd assume Blackman should be back very soon because you didn't put him on IR. Um, Frank Reich seems to be optimistic about Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know, it, It's not like... You know, you would think, okay, Taekwon and Shaq both missed with the concussion. You know, 
typically guys come back in that second week. Obviously, Leonard dealing with a little bit more, but um, I guess in summary, Eddie, it's like, do we see anything else? Desperation on the offensive line. Obviously, and we'll talk about the O-line here. I guess I'll briefly mention like what you do from a lineup standpoint before we get to Twitter questions. But is there any other position group or players that you think deserve some attention? Again, probably nothing to the extent of the O-line. But is there anything else? a positive manner or a more expectations? Well, well, both. Positively, you could say, Alec Pierce, here's your playing time. Negatively, you would say, Paris Campbell, there goes some of your playing time. Like, you know, there's obviously a give and take that comes with any sort of move that you make. Same thing with if you were going to say, hey, Sam Ellinger, you're now the backup because you can scramble better. And if something goes bad, we want you to be in there. And then you would demote Nick Foles, Mm -hmm. Uh, Isaiah Rogers, and Brandon Faison. Rogers positively, face on negatively. Um, I guess before we get to Twitter questions, O line wise, you guys know that I always like to have kind of one eye looking towards the future, particularly when I don't think the ceiling is there within a given season to reach where you really want to reach. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're at right now. So the grouping that I would probably run out there Sunday would be I'd probably give Ryman another shot at left tackle. I Frank think he, wasn't very committal to that uh, yesterday. He didn't yeah. really commit to anybody, though. He did not. Very early in the week. I, I think there's an element that they think to themselves, we've got to at least give that group some practice time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I do think there's a little bit of that. Now, give Ryman another shot. Nelson at left guard. Again, I'm probably a little bit more in the Pinter camp at center, and I know that a lot of people disagree with me on that. That's fine. I don't disagree with you, though. Right guard, I think a little Will Fries or Matt Pryor. And then right tackle, I think you leave Braden Smith. Um, if you don't like to have the one eye towards the future like I do, then I think you have to discuss Dennis Kelly at left tackle. I know his history doesn't indicate that. His history is more on the right side, but he's been healthy. He's not on the injury report. Like He's been healthy for a month. Like. He, he, the knee injury he had in camp is no longer. I, I think that's something you would have to explore. What about exploring him at right tackle instead of left tackle and you leave Bernard out there at left? Yeah. I guess I kind of look at right, Eddie, and think you just you need to have Braden Smith there. I agree. I think Thursday was a message of you sure as hell don't have two tackles. Make sure you at least have one tackle. And Braden Smith – Make sure that you at least have one tackle. I get it hasn't been perfect with Braden Smith. Let's not act like he's getting beat on every play right? either. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of Josh Allen coming this week and thinking, boy, what he did with, what, five <laughs> sacks and 11 quarterback hits for that Jags D-line in week two. So that's probably where I'd go short-term again. Or excuse me, that's where I'd go one eye towards the long-term. The short-term, that's when you get into definitely playing Ryan Kelly, definitely playing in. Dennis Kelly, you have the hip situation with Kelly. And that's the other thing that I think you're a little worrisome about the O-line. Eddie, part of me wants to think glass half full because it is a position group that has played good football for you recently. Yeah. But I also sit here and think this. It's October 11th, Eddie. That group hasn't gone through any injuries. Ryan Kelly exited early due to a hip. Any other injuries on that O-line this year? I can't think of any. The moves you made on Thursday night were all performance-related, yeah. not injury-related. Yeah, yeah. So that is where some of the worry arrives for me, and that I can't just brush it under the rug and say, oh, it's the old line. So much is invested there. 
Water will find its level with that group. Well, what happens when injuries start to occur? And then again, it's still the chemistry factor. If you make additional changes to the O-line or you continue to do that throughout the month of October, you're stunting chemistry, and now the recognition of what you had week three with Kansas City and identifying that front and the free blitzers and the free rushers, that becomes more of a storyline because you know teams are going to go back to that film and going to test you with that. So, um, again, as we sit here Tuesday morning, Nelson and Sharpie, I would probably put Braden Smith at right tackle, everything else. Feel free to debate. When you look at the next two games for the Colts, Jacksonville, Tennessee, the two games where they have rushed for the fewest yards this season, Jacksonville and Tennessee. Oh, man. I cannot stress, cannot stress how important these games are. And I know that's staying the obvious. But, Eddie, you've lost. You haven't won your last four divisional games. I would guess that's the longest stretch in franchise history for the AFC South. I, I don't know, maybe 2017 you were you lost four straight. I would guess that's the longest stretch. Um, you've been thoroughly outplayed in those four contests out as well. You know, if you add up the 16 quarters, it's not like you're the, you know, Las Vegas Raiders here and you're, you know, knocking on the door. Um, just massive, absolutely massive. You've lost the first two meetings with those two teams. If you want to taste that home playoff game, October football needs to be treated like December or January football. All right, we got a lot of Twitter questions, so let's get right into it. Let's uh, do it. Jason has some leftovers from last week that we weren't able to get to. Um, is it a no-brainer that Zaire Franklin comes out of the starting lineup when Shaquille Leonard returns, or is it now a conversation? He seems to be outplaying Okereke in recent weeks. Man, talk about a question I went out of envisioned a few weeks back. Um, Jason uses the term no-brainer. No. No, it's, I mean, it, it's not a no-brainer. I mean, think about it. Okereke was the guy benched in that Titans game. When Leonard started, played a couple series, and then you know exited due to a pitch count, came back in, got hurt, and he was done for the night. Um, I think what, honestly, it's Eddie, to me, it's a bit similar to the Ryan Kelly-Danny Pinter thing. What this staff must decide is, is Shaquille Leonard back to being Shaquille Leonard? Because I thought in that brief period of him on the field with the Titans, he looked like a guy that had missed a year. Yep. And unless he's giving you the playmaking, then I would rather have Franklin or OKRK out there. But if he's giving you the normal Leonard playmaking, then you want him out there. Because it is a defense that's still searching for some turnovers. Uh, I am very curious to see when he gets back. You know, I asked Frank Reich last week did he, you know, about the broken nose. He indicated it was kind of significant. So I think you keep an eye on that. And I also think, Eddie, part of it is, too, like, you know, when are you facing kind of the run-heavy teams versus not? You know, Franklin, I think, is better suited for those run-heavy teams. But, Jason, that's a very relevant question. Uh, both of them are the same age, too, so it's not like Zaire's older. And- yeah, same draft class. I mean, obviously there's a contractual component. But, yeah, it's not as – it's not like the Ryan Kelly, Danny Pinter thing. Correct. Uh, this comes from Cameron. How do you solve the quarterback puzzle when the roster is too good to lose enough to get a high draft pick, offensive line or not? Matt Ryan is not the guy, but the roster isn't young and bad enough to get a top draft pick, and it isn't old enough to rebuild and start over. Yeah, Cameron, I would agree on that last part. I don't think it's in a rebuild. I think it's more of a retool. Um, but this is where franchises really have to look in the mirror 
put egos to the side, realize it's time. Uh, NFL purgatory is dangerous. But Eddie, I believe I have this correct. If I'm not mistaken, the year before, Kansas City took Mahomes, Buffalo took Allen, the Ravens took Lamar Jackson. I believe all three of those teams made the playoffs the year before. And if I'm so, that would have been like Alex Smith. I don't think Buffalo did. I, I, for some reason, I thought Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor like lost to Jacksonville in round one. Oh, 20, yeah, you, might, you could be right. Yeah, yeah, you could be right. I, I remember looking this up a few years ago for a story. It was was it Tyrod or was it hell? Was it was it Peterman? Um, I totally forget who their quarterback would have been. And then Baltimore, I think at Flacco. You're right. It was. Who was Buffalo's QB? Uh. Both Taylor and Peterman, because Taylor got hurt a couple times, but it was yeah. Tyrod Taylor for the majority of the season. That's when they had LaShawn McCoy. Oh, I love watching Shady run. Gosh, he at Pittsburgh, he was so fun to watch. Um, that would be the college, by the way, not the not the NFL team. <laughs> uh, to Cameron's point, though, Eddie, I think that is super relevant. You had three teams that were on the higher end of purgatory, a higher end or lower end. I think would you want to? I think you will be on the higher end of purgatory. Um, you had three teams that made the playoffs right there. And all three of them got to the next year's draft and said, hey, guys, we're an above-average team, but we're not, you know, to Frank Reich's analogy, we're not close to that mountaintop. We've got to try and get to the mountaintop. They made three significant moves in those 2017-2018 drafts, and now look at them. They're the three best teams in the AFC? I would think so. All right, this one comes from Colin, going back toward the offensive line. If Danny Penner slides in at center and plays well, do the Colts save money by cutting Ryan Kelly and riding with Pinter in 2023? It'll save the Colts about $7.8 million per spot track, but at least a $4.5 million dead cap hit. Yeah, Colin, that's not a move we've seen this, this regime make at all, but I think it is another very relevant topic to discuss. Um, Eddie, I'm curious if you think Anyway, on this. Benching Ryan Kelly. Did you find it odd at all that Ryan Kelly wasn't a captain? Somewhat. I think when your credentials are the longest tenured player on the football team, which Ryan Kelly is, longest tenured Colt, and you're a pro bowler, I feel like usually that's just like a slam dunk. You're you're a captain. Now, the Colts' offensive captains were Ryan, Nelson, Taylor, uh, yeah. Taylor, right? Yeah. I mean, you obviously can make very strong cases for those three guys being captains. So I get it. Maybe you didn't want a fourth offensive captain. But I guess what I'm saying, too, it's not like you're benching someone that walks out for the coin toss every week. I mean, Ryan Kelly matters, and, and, and I do like Ryan Kelly's leadership. But I just think, unfortunately, the wear and tear of injuries have started to pile up for him. And he was a little bit on the older side when you drafted him out of Alabama. He's a little bit on the older side in general with his NFL career, now seven years into it. I, I just I think it's a question that you have to ask yourself. And they've always been high on Pinter at center, much more than guard, at center. They've always said that. And I've always thought to myself, are they going to trade Kelly? So, yeah, boy, I, I, I think that's a conversation that they've had to have had in the last 24, 48 hours. Ryan Kelly just turned 29 in May, so he'll be 30 next year. And again, I don't want to act like that's like, you know, 
aging for interior offensive linemen. You see guys play well into their 30s there. But uh, Andrew Whitworth, for example. To, yeah, and Whitworth did it out at tackle. Jason Peters is still doing it. But to your earlier point, Eddie, of what you said about um, the um, the age thing with Zaire Franklin and Shaquille Leonard, it's much more different than Ryan Kelly to Danny Pinter. Yeah, uh, this is from Daniel. Uh, he says, thanks for the pod. The offensive play calls seem to be simple enough that opposing defenses can figure them out relatively easily. When you have a top-level talent, you can win matchups and one-on-ones, as you mentioned, with simple plays. Unfortunately, we do not ha- we do not have that top talent. We need help with good play designs. My question to you is, do you think it's related to Matt Ryan saying early on that he wanted to simplify the offense and now it's overly simple? Um, that's interesting, Daniel. I haven't thought about it like that. I, I would hope not. I, I mean, I do think it's looked a bit stale. I, I think back to Grand Park and, you know, watch things that was seen in Grand Park that we haven't seen yet this season. Um, yeah, I, I mean, simple offensively is just not a good recipe for su- success. It doesn't really scream a whole lot of Frank Reich's background. But I, I do think that at times it's looked like that. I, I would like to think it's not a Matt Ryan influence. I mean, I get that, you know, He's new. He's coming here. Maybe the you know 130 percent of the playbook is not open just yet. But I, part of me thinks some of that is just your personnel holding back some of that playbook as well. And you know, as much as again, there's recent evidence to Frank Reich and the offense scoring points at a really nice level, uh, considering the quarterback changes. I um, you can't defend where you're at right now, no. offensively whatsoever. Historically no. bad. Uh, I was going to bring something up. I forget. Um, this is from Tyler. He says he's a huge fan of the pod and that he has two questions. Tyler, thank you. With the obvious change at offensive line, did it make any sense to move Matt Pryor to right tackle and Braden Smith to right guard? Not only from a talent perspective, but we aren't paying Smith to play guard. Perhaps last night, or I should say last week, really exposed that Matt Pryor has no business on this team whatsoever. Secondly, Given Ballard's lack of in-season trades before, odds on trading for an offensive tackle plus twenty five hundred. <laughs> yeah, let's start with the first one. When Amazon flashed up that graphic, Eddie on Thursday night, and they had Prior at right guard, or excuse me, Prior at right tackle and Smith at right guard, I thought, what? Because this comes back to the Quentin Nelson left tackle thing. And again, I've said this all along. Quentin Nelson does not want to play left tackle. I, I get that some people are like he's paid twenty million. They should do what the team wants. You run into the issue, though, of are you lessening two positions? And I think we saw that, in a way, on Thursday night. I guess Brayden Smith probably didn't lessen what you were getting at right guard, but the right tackle is more exposed. And Matt Pryor had, was it nine quarterback pressures allowed, the most in the NFL this season? In a game, yes. Yeah, I just... Pryor has guard history. He has right side history. I I did not get that. Let alone Braden Smith now is being moved to a position that he hasn't played in five or six years. Since college, right? So, yeah, that one I didn't understand. As far as in-season trades, I just – plus 2,500 obviously is very long odds. Two things. First off, what team has a competent tackle that they'd be willing to trade? That's my first thought. My second thought is – until you have the future quarterback, I, I don't want to give up any draft picks. 
I don't. Fair. Um, this comes from Damon. He says, hey, Kevin and Eddie, hope you're doing well. Thank you, Damon. Same to you. Likewise. Uh, it seems to be officially spooky season because that game scared me. Defense played like monsters for most of the game, but are the issues we see with the offensive line and the offense in general mostly talent related, or can the season be put on back, or can the season be put back on course? Uh, it feels good to get a win, but I fear we may be hating this game in April. Gosh, you know that that last sentence, man. That's kind of jarring to read in early October. Yep. But I, I feel like there is a sentiment of the fan base that is certainly there. Um, it should not be this broken. But I'll go back to what I said earlier. Again, how long will it take to find the five? And then how long will it take to build chemistry within that five? Like, I hear people, like, they're going to get it figured out. It's the offensive line. They're going to get it figured out. Just, you know, growing pains, this and that. I feel like, and I have, I've won that shattered a decent amount of glass. Mostly accidental. One time Adam Schneider and I were in the basement and we did hit a baseball through the downstairs window. Um, we had a net set up. We thought we were hitting it in the net. Foul ball, boom, shattered glass. Tried to hide it from my parents. We hit it well for a while. And then, How'd you hide it? Well, it was one of those like kind of like um, stormish windows, so uh, it's not super obvious, you know? And then I tried to put like a, you know, I don't know, a towel above it. and <laughs> Boy, yeah, seventh grade me, that really worked out well. <laughs> I'm picturing that scene right now. I'm picturing the amount of shattered glass and almost feel like that's a Colto line. Like you're not going to totally put it back together. Yeah. Th- th- there's there is too much too much wrong with it. It's too broken. Yeah. It's not just a boom, I have literally taken a piece of, you know, bread and cut it in half and I can somewhat push the bread back together and you know, put some nice butter in between it and boom and and we're good to go. Like and it's not like we're talking about you know, 20% of the offensive line returning. We're talking about 60% of the offensive line starters. Three of the five have been back all season. Yeah, and you know, again, you made changes to 60% of the line last week. The guys that are back are, again, injuries have followed them over the past 12 to 24 months, so that is concerning as well. So, yeah, Damon, I, I, I just I can't go all the way there. Uh, this is the best Colts podcast per Chris. Oh, Chris, let's go. Is this Chris Presley or is this somebody I don't know. else? I don't know. Chris Presley, a big one for his Vols this weekend, Eddie. Oh, yes. That was dominating. They got a big one this weekend, too. Rocky Top and Roll Tide, college game day there. CP and I were texting about it this weekend. He's pumped. I would be, too. Uh, this Chris has two questions. Yeah. Uh, is there any truth to the Jelani Woods texting at church causing his playing time to be cut rumor? <laughs> oh my god! And I have no idea where this rumor started. Do oh, you? you did not. Have you not heard this? I know. I've heard the rumor, but I just didn't know where it started. I, I believe it was on the McAfee show. I don't think it was. I, I don't believe it was Pat. Um, but I, I, I think that's where the rumor was started. The one of the people I, I forget which one mentioned it. I think clarified the next day of like you could tell in the tone of my voice I was joking at that. I guess just a little bit of background. Like it's not like the Colts go to church the night before the game. This is not Notre Dame football. It's not Rudy. Um you know, if you're on a road trip, like one of the banquet rooms in the hotel, Colts will travel a chaplain. If you want to go, you can go. It's not like yeah, <laughs> mandatory church. This is not Christmas morning. Your mom is yelling at you to get you to go to church. Um, so I don't believe there is any validity behind that. And I mean, Jelani Woods did. I, I, 
I feel like it's plenty of times been about what I would have thought. Uh, you said there's another question? Correct, yes. He says, also, is there any scenario uh, where we can have a home playoff game and Frank Reich and Chris Ballard still get fired, or will we be stuck with them? Yeah, Chris, that's a really good question. I find it hard to imagine Jim Mersey cutting ties with them if they were to win the South. Now, that's not like a foregone, foregone NFL precedent. I mean, the Titans, we mentioned it, they fired Mike Malarkey after winning a road playoff game. Mm-hmm. I thought the Raiders would just bring back Basaccia, or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. last year. Now, I get he was interim, but they, you know, let him go. He, so, really, he really rallied that team together, really too. Did. So, um, I just don't see, I mean, if you got embarrassed on your home field in the playoff game, that might be a different element to the story. If somehow the AFC South winner was like seven or eight wins, which I guess was possible, maybe. I was about to say, what if you finish eight, eight and one? Right. Maybe that would be in line. But Chris, I, I still am kind of in the same mode of operation I was in on Friday with that podcast and saying this season has some 2015 Colts vibes to it. Of And I know it's not exactly apples to apples because you entered that season off an AFC championship game. You entered this season off of a catastrophic collapse the last two weeks last season. Mm-hmm. But it just has the feel and how Ursay views Bauer and Reich that this will be this will be the season that gets them on Ursay's hot seat. That that's how I feel right now. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong on that, but that's how I feel right now. Uh Joe would like you to rank these in order from most likely to happen to least likely. Number one, Matt Ryan is benched for Nick Foles. Number two, Alec Pierce lands in the top three for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Number three, Chris Ballard stays and Frank Reich gets fired after another subpar season. Thanks for being the best. I appreciate that, Joe. I would – boy, that order he put them in, I would probably put them in reverse order. You said most likely to least likely? Correct. Yeah, I would say of those three, again, Ryan bench for Foles – First off, I don't see a benching Eminem at all. Second off, I'm thinking to myself, if you benched him, what, I mean, don't you just go to Ellinger? Like, you really need to see Foles. Um, but 3 2 1 is the order I'd go there. Ballard stays, Frank goes would be most likely. I don't think it's very likely, but that would be most likely. Pierce in top three rookie offensive of the year, Eddie. Pierce's got to start getting in the end zone if he's going to get that recognition. I mean, I don't want this to sound like I'm calling out Alec Pierce. I think he's been very good and rebounded from week one astonishing, astonishingly well. But, I mean, Brees Hall, feel free to chime in. With Damian Pierce. Years. Damian Pierce. I mean, now that Kenny Pickens is playing, you know, he's going to get Pickett. opportunity. Kenny Pickett. I'm thinking George Pickens. Um, <laughs> George Pickens is probably another name out there on the list. Hasn't Drake London had a few moments? Yeah. He's had a few, yeah. Olave, you know, he would probably fall on that list. So I, I just think you're a ways away from Pierce being top three-ish. Let me see if there is a yeah, do they even odds. That? I'm looking at that right now. There's Coach. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, your favorite right now is Damian Pierce and Brees Hall. They are both plus 500. Then you have Gar- uh, Chris Wilson plus 600. Garrett Wilson? Garrett, oh, sorry. Chris Olave plus 600, Drake London plus 800, Romeo Dobbs plus 1,000, and Garrett Wilson plus 1,000 as well. And then obviously uh, with 
this is just a little name to throw out there, but Kenneth Walker, um, he'll be the RB1 yeah, now for Seattle point. with uh, Rashad Penny fracturing his leg. So that's someone to monitor as well. Yep. Um, Matt has the next question. Um, being on Pacific time, my wife has spared me from destroying Sundays this season by spoiling game outcomes and subsequently not watching the Colts replays. Being a fan optimist, it would be the full Colts uh, to win on Thursday night, which they did. But I find it hard to believe that Reich's message isn't stale. Sir, we've turned it around from worse records, but in 2019 and 2021, uh, there's game after game where we absolutely shat the bed in blue leads. Uh, these were precursors to this year where now Reich's message has worn thin and we're flatter and more uninspired than ever before. I'm not throwing in the towel in this season, but I can't imagine Imagine he's there by January of 2023. What's your take? Yeah, you know, the whole stale message is kind of interesting. I, Eddie, I know all of our listeners don't necessarily reside here in Indianapolis, so they might not be familiar with this, but, you know, Larry Bird, who ran the Pacers for years, fired Frank Vogel after a run there where I thought Vogel deserved to still have his job, and Bird used the phrase of, your message gets stale after about year three. I think that Pacers team had like 13 of 14 new guys on that team from Vogel's first year. So I didn't necessarily agree with Bird. But now this is year five for Reich. There's a little bit more consistency within that locker room. I, I do think there is an element of that. Um, it's just weird. I mean, you know, the Colts are going to be favored on Sunday. That, that line, is, I think, is up to like two and a half. You know, it's not like all, unless something crazy happens. The Colts will be favored. Eddie, it'll be their fifth straight divisional game they've been favored in. They haven't won any of the previous four, and they've been down at least 17 points in each of the previous four. Against not very good football teams, and against football teams that matter more than the other football teams on your schedule because they're in your division. That is where flat against bad teams, historically bad offensive play, Jim Irsay, that would concern me. Uh, a little quick note for the Reds here uh, before we get to Matt's second question. Red legs. Wow. Yes. Uh, Bet MGM announced today they their company is now the official sports betting partner of the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, there we go. Bet MGM, an endorser right here. Let's go. I love hearing that. You know, now we just need to hire Joe Madden, who we had on the <laughs> show this morning. I was going to say something else, but I will hold off against it. Uh, Matt's second question was, I think missing out on a redshirt quarterback uh, from this last year's draft is worse than not going for Justin Fields in 2021. That lack of offensive line and wide receiver competition are neglect of duty by Chris Ballard, but not fireable. Thoughts? Um, yeah, I think there was a lot of truth to that second statement. Gosh, boy, the not fireable, that almost falls into like how I almost view Ballard's thought process with this of like, well, I'm not going to make that move because once you make the move, then you become on the hot seat. Yeah, I, I do think you miss opportunities to groom under Rivers, and right now I think currently you've missed opportunity to groom groom under Ryan. My um, my my, from the earlier question, I would have went two three one. I would have went with Pierce and then Reich and then Matt Ryan because I feel like Matt Ryan. Yeah, as the last yeah, least huh. likely, I put Pierce second and I put the Reich thing third because I think if one of them got fired, I think both of them would go because. 
when you look at how Ballard emphasizes the trenches and how poor the offensive line has played and how it's ultimately led in the lack of help around the quarterback position, I don't, I just don't think Jim Mercy will be able to accept that, um, you know, down the long run. You know, part of me thinks this to Matt's second question as well. Nick Sirianni took the Eagles job, correct? Yeah, and I was about to, yeah, that's something I've been wanting to talk about, but go ahead. And very early on in that process, Nick Sirianni seemed to be on board with moving on from Carson Wentz and believing in Jalen Hurts. There were a lot of Jalen Hurts whispers about, like, is he the guy? Is he? Am I reading too much into this? But because J- Nick Sirianni liked Jalen Hurts, clearly. Yeah. Does that mean Frank Reich also liked him? Maybe. Does that mean Frank Reich was curious about Jalen Hurts in the second round of that 2020 draft? Maybe I'm connecting too many dots here. But we know Sirianni liked him. Yeah. And we know that Frank and Nick have a very similar offensive mind. They're, they're different personalities from fire and, and energy and, and just their outgoingness probably um, would be a way to describe it. But that's always something I've thought about. Another thing to note that uh, that came to my mind, the more and more I think about this is like, we talk about the like sometimes the lack of creativity offensively and how the offense has kind of been stagnant for the or slow I should say uh, for the latter part of two years. Like, could you attribute part of that to maybe even the loss of Nick Sirianni? Yeah, you know, it's something that I think is becoming a little bit more obviously relevant. Just because for anyone that would ever go out to a Colts practice, and Frank has admitted this, or even just watch Nick on the sidelines, they are very different personalities, and you know. I think Marcus Brady is much – Marcus Brady and Frank Reich are very subdued, where Sirianni would run the offensive meetings, and that's a different personality. I, I do think that is something that's different. It, it's it's a different tone. It's a different level of energy you hear Monday through Saturday, Yeah. whereas Marcus Brady and Frank Reich align much more in their personality. So, yeah, that is a good point. Uh, this is from Logan. Hey, Kevin, love the pod, and congratulations again on the birth of Max. Thank you. He has two questions, and I'm not sure who asked, but... Oh, actually, uh, I actually think we asked this last week. Is this did Logan we? asking the, 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 the dad joke one? Uh, yes. Oh, I got ripped for that. Ripped oh, for that. yeah. So, He's, Logan, thank you. I apologize for putting that in there twice, Eddie, but... All good. If I can keep the dad jokes to a minimum, this podcast runs better. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jordan says, was Ballard scared to draft a quarterback because if it didn't work out, it would cost him his job? Because it seems like the route that he did go with, uh, with veterans, should be what costs him his job. You know, Jordan, I've we've kind of hinted at this a little bit, I guess, in the previous questions. Eddie, something that also pops into my mind about this is like clearly Jim Irsay is signing off on this plan and I find that a little bit odd I mean Irsay was I mean hell Irsay was a GM for the Colts when his dad was the owner so Jim Irsay saw very much on a first hand basis in the late 80s into the 90s what it was like to go from quarterback to quarterback to quarterback to quarterback. Then all of a sudden, when Robert Ursay passes away in 97 and Jim takes over, he goes Peyton and Luck for 20-some years. Obviously, there's a happy medium, or I should say a more realistic medium between what you had in the late 80s, 90s, to then what you got with Manning to Luck. It just is 
odd to me that Ursay isn't more on the we need to find a long-term quarterback 1,037% versus let's go Band-Aid. The franchise did go Band-Aid in the 80s and 90s, and you saw largely what happened with that. So I've always felt that way about it. Because ultimately, Ursay is signing off on He's not signing off on who the quarterbacks they're acquiring, but he is signing off on the plan. That position means too much for them not to have gone there. And then the other question that you know we were talking about just a few minutes ago, have Reich and Ballard always aligned with quarterback in the draft? Have they always aligned in the let's go in different directions? I, I, I can't say that 100%. Um, I'm going to skip over one and go to Joel real quick just because you're talking about the draft because his question pertains to that. Uh, He says, hey, KB, hope you and the family are well. My question is what changes should be made to address the offensive line? Uh, Do we try and find a guy this season or do we start making the staff changes? And then at quarterback, what quarterback would you like to see the Colts target in next year's draft? If this continues, we will have a pretty good pick next year. So there is a silver lining. Thanks for everything you do. The pod is the therapy i need after a loss <laughs> now obviously this was before the denver yeah, game. yeah we did get some of these questions sent in before the um before the denver game anthony richardson eddie he is he three years three years removed he's a sophomore i know that but i don't know i'm seeing some mocks with him in it and yeah. i'm seeing some mocks with him not he's got some raw raw tools dude really raw tools um you know as far as the o-line again we talked about that a little bit earlier, so let's just kind of focus on on the second one. Um, I just don't see them getting in Stroud Young range. I don't see them getting the top three. You know, and that's I think what in all likelihood you're you're going to need. Um, I I still don't want to want to watch more of these college quarterbacks before I commit to something. There, I think I mentioned some of the the um, SEC guys earlier. I've been really disappointed that Boston College's offensive line has been utterly horrific this year because I think Phil Jerkovic, their quarterback, has some interesting traits. Is really? A bigger QB, can move, nice arm. Um, I know some people at the start of the year were high on um, not only the Van Dyke kid from Miami, but Tanner McKee out of Stanford. Stanford has been an abomination, and if Notre Dame loses to them, I'll cry on Saturday <laughs> night. Um but I, I need and want to start to watch more of these because it, it's. I'm not going to lie. I, I didn't. I haven't been lock locked in to college football to the point of wanting to watch all of these guys early on. We've got a lot of months to c- continue to to do that. Um, I think the traits that I like are guys that can extend plays and some arm talent that you can't teach. The processing ability is, of course. Very key into this regime. It's probably top of mind. I do think that's important. Um, I think there's an element of that of can you develop some of that and trust your coaching staff to try and do that. That's where if you had a little bit of the you know Ryan Rivers veteran influence, I do think that would be beneficial. Um, but to me, in today's NFL, some arm talent and the ability to keep some plays alive, gosh, I just think those are vital. Um, the guy, the guy I like, he's not even, he's not eligible this year, but I really like Caleb Williams. I think he's the dude. And he, with his coach, Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Who now out in USC. USC. That Notre Dame will see them at the end of this year. Uh, there's a lot of talent out there. A lot of talent at the skill positions. They're looking to like old USC. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, in terms of what they've got quarterback and wideout wise. Uh next question comes from Andrew. I don't know how much longer you want to go here. Um yeah, I, I, I if we can, let's 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 ride these out. Okay. So we got a handful left? Yeah, about five or six. Cool. Okay, Andrew, um, the writing is on the wall. Reich is Frank Reich. He is losing the locker room. Ballard, Chris Ballard, is losing the media, and Jim Irsay is losing the fans. So assemble your dream team, GM and head coach. <laughs> I feel like this is hard, too, because, you know, like in years past, there have been, like, clear-cut candidates. Yeah. And, and right again, now, there's it, not really. It, it's October 11th. I, I want to see who's out there. I know Carolina just made a move. I know a lot of people have talked about you know, where you're at, the Sean Payton situation. Um, and I think a lot of it, too, will come down to a do you see an admittance from the top that they're willing to try things differently? I think we all can say this, Eddie. I think Chris Ballard, you can point to a lot of evidence that he's a pretty good talent evaluator. Is he willing to kind of test the talent at some other spots that he hasn't committed resources to yet? Would his talent evaluation be strong in those places as well? Yeah. Um, you know, if you're willing to go there, do you run it back? Um, so I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go down this path until I feel confident that moves will be made or unquestionably should be made. Um, until we're there, not gonna go down that path. Uh, Walter also a. Uh, what could we get for DeForest Buckner? Uh, he has not lived up to the contract, and Grover Stewart looks more dominant, and Tyquan Lewis is just as serviceable. Let's free up some cap and actually spend it on some key positions this offseason. Also, free Dio Adangbo. He had some flashes that I feel uh, would be more consistent with more playing time, and I'd also like to note this question was submitted prior to the Denver game. Yeah, Buckner outstanding in that game. You know, the quitty pay injury should open up the door for Dio. I don't like Taekwon Lewis, you know, serviceable. I, I don't I like Taekwon Lewis as like my fifth or sixth guy rotating in. You know, injuries have played a big role. So Walter, I, I'm not necessarily on board. I, I hear where you're coming from in the free up cap space, not necessarily a premium position. I think your defensive tackle um death would get exposed pretty, pretty quickly. Um so yeah, I, I I'm not going down this path. Uh, three questions left. Tyler is up next. Uh, hey, Kevin, I've got a question for the pod. I know it's early in the season, but should the Colts throw in the towel, so to speak, and see what they've got in these young players? 0-2-1 in the division seems uh, that, barring a miracle, the Colts won't win that and would need a miraculous turnaround to get a wild card spot. Ryman at left tackle, Nick Cross at safety, Penner at center. I know it's only week four. Uh, but everyone sees what this team actually is. No hurt in seeing what you've got, right? Thank you, and we'll continue to listen to your content even as the season crumbles. Yeah. You know, should the Colts throw in the towel? Obviously not at this point. Yeah, I mean, you're you're sitting there right there in the division. I mean, there is – there's just these line of thinkings and organizations, and again, you guys have heard me say this before – if you can't reach the mountaintop, you know, should you try and play some of the younger guys? Would these losses be preferred to wins? There's a lot of validity behind that. But I also can fully acknowledge when you're on October 11th, you have a 37-year-old quarterback, you're this early in the season, the AFC South is the gift that always gives, you're not going to sniff this sort of decision. 
Um, so the, will there come a point in time this season where maybe this is a little bit more, um, you know, applicable to where you're at right now? Sure, but I don't think you're here just yet. And again, the organization is not going to necessarily touch any of that. The should. There's a lot of evidence towards the long term. And yes, if you're drafting much higher, you're playing these young guys, that is huge for you. But right now, no. Um, this next one, Kev. I, there's one way I want to pronounce it, but there's another way that it could be pronounced. Is this our German fella? Uh, I. F- you fook? Matt- yeah. You fook from Germany. Okay, I, I that's what I thought. I didn't want to say the other well, variation. Probably smart there. The explicit, you know, tag would have had to be on the podcast. But um, he's a, he's a loyal listener from Germany. Uh, did they got you, a game in Germany coming up, right? I yeah. I wonder if the internet will run out and they'll start handing out free beer again. <laughs> that was great. Uh, he says, "Hey Kev, did you see the Matt Overton tweet about a couple leaders back in the day? Uh, do you think that the Colts have enough leaders that hold the team accountable? It is frustrating that some of our best players on paper just don't show up week in and week out. Uh, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, uh, Matt Ryan, Kenny Moore, and Unique Ngakwe. And can we please stop playing Brandon Faison over Isaiah Rogers? Thanks in advance and greetings from Germany." Greetings to you as well, and thank you, Yufuk, for your question there. Uh, you know, I think leading into this, again, some of their best players are a hair too quiet at, I should say, some of their highest-paid players. And again, we saw the defensive guys kind of flip that script um, against Denver. You know, I do feel like there is an element, Eddie, to this season. Don't you need to taste the playoffs? Don't you need to feel that? I mean, yeah, the fan base certainly wants to feel it. But doesn't your team need to feel what that's like, taste what that's like? Because, again, I don't call this a rebuild. You know, if you're able to find a young quarterback and in a two- to three-year window, that young quarterback has gotten you playing at the level of you're winning AFC South and you're making the playoffs, you want to make sure that other guys in your team know what, January is all about. I'll never forget having this conversation with Rick Venturi. He he heard me say this on the radio back during training camp, and he was like, I agree with you, and I want to add this. He likes to break down the NFL season into kind of four quadrants in terms of intensity. You have preseason, you have regular season, you have December football, and then you have playoff football. We saw how this team performed in December football last year. They got to the third rung of intensity, and they wilted. Yeah, You need to continue to taste some of that. Feel it. Know how to react to that. Again, play with a bullseye on your back. You're never going to sustain success as a franchise until you have a bullseye on your back and you deliver. And like I said earlier, four straight divisional games as favorites, and you've not won any of them, and you've been down three scores in each of them. So part of me is there, too, of like, yes, I understand long-term that's critical. Finding the quarterback is of the utmost importance. But again, tasting some of what the next steps of the ladder are, I think that's critical too. Uh, I don't think they have a game in Germany this year. I know they have a game. I thought it was. Maybe it's coming up. They have one in Munich. Well, this year. Yeah. Well, Munich is in Germany. I thought that was. Oh yeah, I was. Yeah. I thought that was more. Um, Who, who's playing in in Munich? I thought that was uh, the Austrian. I didn't think that was 
Germany for some reason. Um, there goes you, Fook. Send it any more questions? The rest of the. I'm sorry, you, Fook. I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> you. Don't let my. Uh, I'm trying to find it. I just had it up. Because we've gone two London games. We've got another London game coming up, too. Uh, week 10. That is Seattle and Tampa Bay. Nice. The hot Geno Smith heading to Munich. Geno Smith, uh, yeah. Uh, any more? You said we got one more? Yeah, one more. And Come. then the other London game is week eight, and it's Denver and Jacksonville. Well, there we go. Jacksonville's got to meet the quota. Uh, last one comes from Mario. Uh, sorry, I had to itch my eye there. Uh, Chris Ballard, uh, Bunder is worse letting which, – which Chris Ballard Bunder is worse letting – Danico Autry walk to a rival or picking Paris Campbell over DK Metcalf in 2019. By the way, I agree on the thinking of Shaq Leonard after the Tua Tagovailoa injury, uh, and then he got concussed. Um, you know, the, the Autry one, well, I understand the, the, the Campbell over Metcalf. I, I, I do. At the time... You know, you had a receiver core of T.Y. Hilton. You had signed Devin Funches, and then you're thinking Campbell for the slot. So I I get that thinking. The Autry one though is a bigger one because he wanted to come back. You lowballed him from the start, and that just set the precedent for the entire negotiation. And again, it's a position that Ballard believes in, and I think going to a rival should matter. It's a position you believe in, durable, versatile, bit of a homegrown talent. And the fact that when his agent tells you that Tennessee is the other one in the mix, that should worry you. That should scare you. And I said this a lot about Ballard when it comes to free agency. This is not a garage sale where you walk into the store and you can dictate some prices potentially and you walk out. For agency is not that. For agency is you walk into the store, these are the prices. And it's not like you can go walk into other stores. This is the store. You want to shop there? These are the prices you're going to have to pay. If you don't, then walk out. There will be consequences, but that's the price of doing business. The part I've never really understood is that you see all these free agent polls, or not free agent, but agent polls, and they say that Chris Ballard's like the best general manager to deal with, but it's like... But he's lowballing some clients. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is a very good point. Um, I think there's an amount of like truthfulness and upfrontness that I think teams appreciate about him, and he does reward his own. You know, I think in a healthy way, um, for the most part. But that is an interesting point. Uh, last thing before we close out the pod, what is your prediction, Colts Jags? So two and a half. It's risen to. I will say again, the Colts have not lost to Jacksonville in any of these meetings at Lucas Oil. And again, I'm going to ask you: Can you please knock on wood over there? <laughs> Trevor Lawrence has looked like a very below average quarterback against every team not named the Colts through his young NFL tenure. I'm going Colts twenty, Jags sixteen. Mm. I've always been on the lower side of the scoring in all of these predictions because thirty six right there for that over under that's that's pretty low for me. Yeah, um, you said they're they're two and a half. I'm sure the over under is like forty two. I think. I think that'd be three straight weeks then where the the total's been forty two for the Colts. Uh, I would go Colts. I'm going to say twenty four Jacksonville twenty one. Okay, so somewhat similar. 
Yeah. A little bit of an uptick in scoring for me, but yeah, obviously the key goes without saying. What do you settle on up front, and what type of help can you give them? You know, they Jonathan Taylor had nine carries in week two, Eddie. Mm-hmm. That's a really small number. It goes without saying for him. They stuffed him early, and the drives were so quick, and you had that early interception. And you had that large deficit, so it's like... Right. And then, obviously, on the flip side, and I, I was glad to hear Frank Reich say this publicly, they dink and dunked us to death, I believe, was the Frank Reich phrase he used earlier this week. That's accurate, and it's sadly relevant. And, as I said, following the Jacksonville game, the first Jacksonville game, it's a shame that it has to be said again, but you go down to Gus Bradley's office, and now you have Gus Bradley film to put on from week two. And you say, Gus... This cannot happen, and if you need to say it in a different tone or in a different manner, by all means, it can't happen. It, Jacksonville has owned you in the trenches. That, while it should piss the Colts off, there's a little bit of understanding with that because, again, your O-line has shown some regression. The Lawrence doing this and not doing it against any other team is flat-out inexcusable. I agree with you there. When you look at how Houston only uh, held them to six points. Yeah, exactly. You know, so – Cannot happen. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Uh, We'll come back Monday with our next pod. We'll get back into the Monday-Wednesday routine as we get uh, back into kind of the Sunday games. Eddie, you're going to be out? Yep, I'll be out. I will be down in Florida uh, starting Saturday. Yeah. By the way, I like the shirt. I forgot to say that right off the top. thank you. Uh, Jimmy Kennedy, good friend of mine. Oh, JBK. Well, there are multiple Jimmy Kennedys um, out there. Um, I think good Jimmy Kennedys and bad Jimmy Kennedys you could reference. Um, The good Jimmy Kennedy that you are referencing, I haven't talked to in a while, but I always enjoyed those conversations. But yeah, I did a reading at his wedding, and he gave all of us these uh, golf shirts. That's pretty nice. nice It's like little sailboats on them. Yeah. Nice little blue. Decent weather here in Indy today, so I thought I would... uh, I would rock that. Enjoy Florida, speaking of sailboats, and um, safe travels down there. And we'll talk to listeners of the podcast next Monday and Eddie when he gets back from vacay. Everybody have a great week. Later. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.